Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Out of about 5,000 community hospitals in the United States, almost 3,000 are nonprofit. More than 1,000 are investor-owned, also called for-profit, and the balance are owned by state or local governments. Now, nonprofit hospitals, like all nonprofit organizations, must have a charitable mission. And for hospitals, that mission is generally expressed as providing charity care and various benefits to the community. In exchange, nonprofit hospitals are exempt from various taxes, they can receive tax deductible charitable donations, and they may have access to tax exempt bonds. There's a long standing debate regarding whether nonprofit hospitals deserve the benefits they receive and whether nonprofit hospitals really behave all that differently from investor-owned hospitals. The similarities and differences in hospital behavior based upon ownership is the topic of today's episode of A Health Podacy. I'm speaking with Jill Horwitz, the David Sanders Professor in Law and Medicine at the UCLA School of Law. Dr. Horwitz and Austin Nichols published a paper in the March 2022 issue of Health Affairs exploring the relationship between urban hospitals' ownership type and which service lines they offer. They found that for-profits, non-profits, and government-owned hospitals are all more likely to offer a service if it's profitable, but for-profit hospitals are overall more responsive to service profitability than non-profits. We'll discuss this finding, and we'll place it in the context of broader research on the topic in today's episode. Dr. Horwitz, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You've been working in this area for a while, and uh, we haven't seen a whole lot of change, so there's been a little nibbling around the edges. But just to get started, we throw around these terms, nonprofit, for-profit, investor-owned. What benefits does each of those organizational structures confer on the organization? Why would you choose one over the other? What do you have to do if you're a nonprofit? What do you have to do if you're for-profit? The difference between a nonprofit and a for-profit has to do with both state law and federal law. The designation of a nonprofit is a matter of state law, and more or less what it means is that, that the organization needs to be dedicated to some purpose, like providing health care to people who need it. If you're a for-profit, your purpose is, re- is making money. And so that's, that's the major difference between the two. And whether you get benefits like income tax exemption or property tax exemption depends on whether you meet other kinds of requirements. So there's a common misunderstanding. People tend to conflate the benefits that you get from ownership with the, the status itself. Okay, so just tease that out a little more. We don't need to be total experts in hospital finance here, but you're right. Given that common confusion, just say a few more sentences so we get what what's the decision point uh, you know, that puts a hospital in one category or the other. It really has to do um, with the purposes that the founders embraced when they started the hospital. So sometimes there are investors who want to make money and they think healthcare is a good investment. You know, for example, there were a lot of for-profit groups that bought up hospitals around the time that the NC, uh, the ACA was passed because they thought they were going to be able to make money off of it. If you're a nonprofit hospital, you need to be 
making money so that you can survive, so that you can offer your services. But the main point of being a nonprofit hospital is to provide care. So I think the big decision point has to do with what your goals are. So when you put it that way, it just seems like it would be obvious that when you look at things like prices or salaries or the kinds of things you look at in different organizations, you'd expect to see big differences between ones that are oriented to making money and ones that are oriented to providing a benefit. Is that what we see? Yeah, there are a bunch of factors um, that scholars and policymakers tend to focus on, and they are they continue to be surprised that there aren't huge differences. When you look at the finances of hospitals, for example, the revenues, um, how much they might charge for a service, they don't look so different. When you think about the fact that these kinds of hospitals, nonprofit, for-profit, government hospitals, all compete in the same markets, and they more or less get their funding from the same places, it's not a surprise that the finances don't look so different. I tend to think that the that when you're looking at hospital behavior, you should look at what makes a hospital a hospital. That's service provision and not really financing. Yeah, so I want to turn to that. And I will just say when you say they're operating in the same markets, they're looking for the same patients. As you note, they often have the same payers. They're also in the same labor markets. They've got a higher nurses and doctors and, you know, other support staff in a market that is uh, has other competitors that may have a different organization. So I get this notion that they're operating actually under similar constraints, even though their, their reason for existence might be different. I do want to just spend a minute on the paper we published in March, because as you said, people are often surprised they don't see bigger differences. But in this paper, you did find some differences. So tell us a little bit about what you were looking for and what you found. Yeah, so we looked at every major service line that um, that hospitals offer. So everything from cardiac surgery to psychiatric interventions uh, to obstetrics. And when you look at these service lines and you compare apples to apples, so hospitals of the same size operating in more or less the same markets, you find enormous differences. And this should both surprise and concern us. So it turns out that if you compare very similar hospitals by size and location, for-profits are much more likely to offer very profitable services. So they're much more likely to offer invasive cardiac services, which are um, expensive for the government, expensive for patients, and tend to be overprovided. If you look at the nonprofit hospitals, they're much more likely to offer services uh, that relatively poorly insured, uninsured people are more likely to need, like uh, like psychiatric services. You do see some differences, even though maybe the differences aren't quite as profound as uh, it, as as some people might expect. I know this wasn't the focus of your study, but there is this one little element that I want to draw out, which is the changing nature of emergency services as a profitable or unprofitable line. So in your study, you sort of categorize different service lines as either, you know, more profitable or less so. But um, it says something really interesting about hospitals, how you categorize emergency services. Can you just say a little more about that? 
Yeah, so emergency services historically have been pretty unprofitable services because emergency rooms tend to attract patients who aren't very well insured, who have multiple problems. And so if you want to make a bunch of money, you want to pick and choose your patients. You don't want to take all comers in the emergency room. But there have been a bunch of changes recently that have made emergency rooms a more profitable location. And these were the results. I'm glad you picked up on them because these were the results that were most surprising to us. One would think that um, whether a hospital offers an emergency service or not is is going to be a, a pretty blunt measure. But among the hospitals that didn't previously offer them, as profitability goes up, for-profits um, were more likely to start investing in those services. So even services as basic as emergency services seem to differ by ownership form. The way I read this study in its context And I liked how you started by noting that there are so many similarities. You know, hospitals are huge, complex institutions with a lot of capital investment, uh, you know, well in excess of a trillion dollar sector. They're slow to move because they have all this infrastructure that's, that's relatively fixed. But at the margin, this is how I read your paper, at the margin, when an incentive arises that creates an opportunity for profitability or the profitability of something begins to erode, that the the for-profit orientation does lead to a more rapid shift in both directions um, than occurs in the absence of that profit motive. is Is that how you see it? That's how I see it in one respect. So if you're looking at kind of the long-term trends of um, responsiveness to pricing, you see that that nonprofits, for-profits, and even government hospitals all respond to financial incentives. We kind of want them to because the government sets prices um, in a manner that tries to give incentives to hospitals. So we're kind of glad that they all respond, but the for-profits are much more likely to respond to smaller fluctuations and to respond more quickly, even if there's no difference in um, in the medical need for services. So let me give you an example. In the um, 90s, when post-acute services like uh, uh, skilled nursing facilities or home health care um, when when financing for those services changed so that they became much less profitable, the, the for-profit hospitals basically dumped those services and they did it virtually overnight. That kind of responsiveness has to do with profit making, not medical need. You know, eventually the, the nonprofits and the government hospitals slowly got out of those businesses too, but not quite overnight. Yeah, it's a good reminder. You know, we often talk about how COVID has made things that were always viewed as impossible. Now we shake things loose like telehealth. But, uh, you know, the the uh, uh, the move to DRG payments in hospitals dropped length of stay like a stone um, very quickly. So you're right. I mean, th- th- we certainly know that these incentives matter and they can. Um, uh, and, and I also like your point that we want them to matter. So, so we've had this Really nice conversation about the difference between the two structures, but 
On the policy side, there's been a lot of focus on nonprofit behavior and particularly this question of whether they deserve the benefits that they get. And I want to spend a little time on that topic with you, but we'll do that after we take a short break. Health Affairs Pathways is a new podcast series exploring the various avenues and alleyways of the healthcare system through a variety of storytelling. Unique series are created by fellows at the Health Affairs Podcast Fellowship Program. Join the fellows on their journey to unearth a new healthcare story on such topics as healthcare consolidation, independent primary care, health equity, and more. Our second season is a seven-part series from Avni Kolkerny and Sonia Lee. Their series, titled Why We Wait, looks into the topic of mental health boarding in the emergency department. Subscribe wherever you listen. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Jill Horwitz about her paper on hospital service offerings differing between nonprofit, for-profit, and government-owned hospitals. Before the break, we were really talking about the differences in how these different ownership uh, status uh, designations affect uh, service offerings. But when we began the segment, we were talking about this longstanding question about whether or not nonprofit hospitals, because they do dominate the scene, uh, deserve the benefits they get from various uh, favorable treatments. So you've been looking at this for a while, and I've always seen in the public discussion, which I don't follow as closely as you do, this emphasis on community benefit that's sort of, okay, you're a nonprofit and there are two things you need to do. You need to offer uh, charity care, unreimbursed care, under-reimbursed care to people because that's part of what it means to have a mission. But you also need to return benefits to the community. You have a mobile van that goes out and people's blood pressure or whatever it happens to be. And um, uh, so, so those are sort of the dimensions that we tend to think about for for uh, measuring benefit. And then, of course, and maybe you can say a little more about this, the Affordable Care Act put in to place certain uh, new provisions with respect to community benefit. Um, is this the right way to think about whether or not a nonprofit is really uh, meeting the test of benefiting the community and measuring the degree to which it's doing that? To be a nonprofit um, means to make a commitment to having a certain kind of purpose. And so I am um, completely on board with holding nonprofit entities accountable to um, to their purposes and ultimately to the public because all their assets need to be devoted to their purposes to benefit the public. I am troubled by the fact that for the past 20, 30 years, we've been trying to solve enormous systemic national problems in healthcare, like too much spending and uh, too little access to care and the problems of the uninsured by shifting those problems to nonprofit hospitals to solve. I think they're not capable of solving those problems. Their mission is not to solve their, those problems. It's to provide high-end health care. And they're um, really 
They're ill-equipped to solve the problems that increasingly states and the federal government are shifting to them. So just to give you an example, um, there are states uh, and advocates who are trying to get hospitals to address homelessness in various regions. People who work in hospitals are trained to do surgery. They're not trained to solve housing crises. They should be partnering with organizations that do that, but it's a very inefficient way to solve homelessness. Okay, so I couldn't agree with you more that it's an inefficient way. And part of the real politics is that if you're concerned about homelessness and you see your homelessness, uh, your your budget to address homelessness being totally inadequate, and you see, you know, $4 trillion in healthcare, and you think, hmm, that could make a difference. And you see a huge nonprofit hospital sector, and you see salaries there for CEOs that vastly exceed the salaries of people in the nonprofit housing sector. You start going, okay, it may not be efficient, but that's not my primary concern. I got a problem I want to solve here. So, how do we? I get what you're saying, but like, how do we do this if we? I, you know what they say, don't let the uh, perfect be the en- enemy of the good. Is, is there something we can do here that you'd feel good about? Yeah, I think there's a lot we can do here, but I think that this method of kind of adding to the responsibilities of hospitals is just going to backfire. So the, the, um, the average nonprofit hospital in America operates at a negative margin. Right. So let that sink in. The average nonprofit hospital is not the enormous fancy teaching hospital you read about in the Washington Post every, you know, every few months when they publish the same story about how much money is being made by these places. And so if you require a nonprofit hospital to, to take on all these other problems, they'll do so poorly and they'll have to make up the money somewhere. You know, too many years of a negative margin and you're not operating. And so what do you do? You start offering more profitable services. So there's plenty of room for nonprofit hospitals to put stents in more people and more and more stents that people don't need. And so, sure, you might get some of the budget going to housing, but at the cost of increasing Medicare spending. And so in the end, it ends up being more costly for the government and just a waste and harming patients with unnecessary care. So how do we solve these problems? Uh, We we solve the national problem of insurance. We use the power of the federal government to deal with Medicare pricing. We take on the hard problems of uh, of physician salaries. Not not a popular (laughs) subject, but it's something that we're going to have to do. Right. So so I'm going to ask it this way. In your mind, if we could, if, if a nonprofit hospital could simply say, we are delivering excellent care and we are a hospital and our purpose is to deliver excellent care. That's our social mission. That is, after all, clearly a public good. If they could simply show that they're delivering excellent care, is, is that enough to warrant the benefits they get from being a nonprofit in your mind? It really is to me. So I would say, you know, when you compared hospitals, nonprofit hospitals to other entities in the nonprofit sector, 
we use the legal definition of charity, not the popular definition. So think about museums. They're nonprofits, and nobody says to get your property tax exemption or your income tax exemption, you have to give away free painting viewing, right? Same thing with the symphony. So I don't quite understand why hospitals are held to a different standard. I also want us to think about um, the alternative. So suppose we had more for-profit hospitals. We'll have less state control over them. And the profits wouldn't be reinvested in the hospital in the provision of health care. They'd go out uh, to the shareholders. And I think that's an alternative um, that is not an attractive alternative. Yeah. So I was really wondering about that as we were talking. It's like if you add burdens to one structure, the marginal choice between structures starts shifting in the other direction. And then where are we? Um, Although some might say, well, you just told us there aren't huge differences between the two, so maybe it's not that big a deal. But I suspect it is a big deal, right? So I want to push back about that not so big a deal. Sorry, no. So maybe not so big a deal in the percentage of revenues that's spent on free care for indigent patients, but huge differences in the probability of offering services. And that's ultimately what matters to patients. So I I don't want to at all minimize our problem with overspending and underinsurance, right? Those are huge national problems that the government needs to grapple with and do something about. But to p- shift the responsibility to nonprofits isn't going to solve it. And to, to take away the benefits of nonprofits means shifting to, to for-profits where I think we'll see everything that's going on now, but worse. I think one other thing I want to say is one hears very frequently that nonprofits have lost their way, that there was this kind of golden era of, you know, almshouses where uh, people could get their free care. And then sometime in the late you know, 1900s, it all got worse, right? That is complete fiction. The The very earliest hospitals actually charged for care in, in a bunch of ways. So you can find records of almshouses sending their patients to the first hospitals and uh, negotiating over price. The almshouses paid the hospitals to take the sick patients. And the patients who couldn't afford to pay in the oldest days were not paying with insurance or cash. They were paying with their bodies. They were experimented on. And they were literally working in those hospitals. Those well enough to to provide um, labor were taking care of other patients and knitting and cleaning. Uh, So things in that respect have gotten better. We don't ask our inpatients to take care of other patients or to clean the ward. So that's a good reminder that there's not some perfect era that we need to return to. This is not a fall that we need to recover from, that that, uh, the nature of the hospital has changed and the nature of finance has changed. And I think it's very interesting how you describe 
the risks associated with expecting more, even as we have social problems that certainly we would love every institution to contribute to solving. But if you load that too much on one institution, there are probably unexpected consequences. Um, before we wrap up, I just want to ask a very different question. So I've known you for a long time. You're trained as a lawyer and you have a PhD in public policy, not a common combination. You're, you're, your faculty appointment's in a school of law. Um, and when we began our conversation, you talked about the legal structure. Um, just, I'd love to get a little bit of your sense of how your approach to health services research is shaped by having a law degree, whether you think it leads you to different questions or different methods or anything. I'd just like to get some insight into that. I'd love to ask you the same question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't have the PhD. I just have the law degree and a, and a policy master's. But I'll, I'll take a turn at answering after you, uh, at, at some appropriate time. Um, I think it makes a big difference in this subject because policymakers um, and, and researchers tend to conflate ownership with the benefits that come with ownership. And, and the regulation, um, the opportunities for regulation really differ between the benefits and the ownership. So increasingly, uh, state attorneys general are regulating behavior of hospitals based on state entity status. So whether you're a nonprofit or not, all has to do with state law. Whether you get the benefits have to do, has to do with the federal government in terms of federal income tax exemption, but also the state government in terms of property tax exemption. And so I think understanding that there are uh, at least these three different kinds of regulatory levers lets you both look at behavior in a different way and think about interventions in a different way. So, for example, one thing we haven't talked about is the difference between state and federal benefits. So I answered your question thinking about federal benefits. I, I don't think that the federal government should be asking more of nonprofit hospitals in terms of community benefits. I think the question of state property tax exemption is a much harder one because the trade-offs are more constrained there, right? You have to think about um, the tax base and the trade-offs between uh, supporting a hospital versus supporting a school system. And there, I think, um, you might want to ask a bit more of your nonprofit hospitals. You know, recognizing the consequences of doing that, but all in, maybe you want to support your local schools more than you want to support your local hospital. That's really interesting, and I it it uh, it gives me a concrete sense of a fairly abstract question that I asked about your uh, how your education affects the the research you do. But uh, it, it's a great example of how bringing different fields together can lead us in directions we wouldn't go if we were studying this just from an economics perspective or just from a health policy perspective. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Horowitz, it's been great to have this conversation with you. Great to read your scholarship and have the privilege of uh, publishing this last piece in March. Thank you so much for being my guest on Health Policy. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy. 
Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Policy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening. <laughs>